0: Yeah. So Etna really is a small appellation. It's 1,000 hectares, so it's about uh, 2,500 acres. We're super small. Etna is only 5% of the whole Sicilian um, vineyard surface. And the wines we make here are, are mountain wines.
1: Drink Fun. This is the Eat Drink Fun Podcast. I'm Chris Miller. Ciao to my hungry and thirsty friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Eat Drink Fun Podcast. Today, we travel to Sicily where we explore the unique wines of Mount Etna. I spent an afternoon at the Benanti family vineyards near Catania. My visit began in the traditional production facility called a palmento, and then we went up to one of the named vineyards, Contrada Montessera, where we learned about the unique viticultural practices, and ended up in the tasting room with Salvino Benanti. Now, if I asked you to name your favorite Sicilian wine, could you? Until recently, I certainly could. But then I visited Sicily, and my eyes were opened. Like a lot of wine drinkers and many wine students, I was aware of Marsala, which is a traditionally sweet, fortified wine named after its city of origin on Sicily's west coast. And I'm familiar with Nero Davila, which is an indigenous grape variety that happens to be Sicily's number one export today. Nero Davila is popular because it's got this big, round, dark fruit flavor with sweet tannins and a really full body. And in that way, it does reflect the hot, arid climate where it's grown. And for most consumers, this is what we've come to expect from Sicilian wine. But then there's Mount Etna. It's Europe's largest active volcano, and it's located on the northeastern side of the island. And when I say active, it's very active. It erupts pretty regularly and pretty dramatically. But those eruptions create a lot of diverse soils. And the mountain itself creates interesting microclimates, specifically on the northern, eastern, and southern slopes. And the elevation, of course, it renders wines with a higher acidity and more precision and finesse. So, Mount Etna also gets snow, which is indirectly one of the main reasons I went to Sicily. Not to ski, but for the gelato, and more specifically, for the granita. It was actually an episode of Chef's Table a few years ago that was seared into my mind. If you're familiar with that episode, it focused on Chef Corrado Asenza of Cafe Sicilia in Noto. My big takeaway? Sicilians actually eat ice cream or granita for breakfast. The traditional flavors are lemon and almond, but you can get plenty of others too. It's accompanied by a brioche and a cup of coffee. This is my idea of a perfect breakfast, and I had to go. And as it turns out, I'm an almond granita guy. But that granita tradition is also linked to Mount Etna. Arabs brought the concept of sweetened, icy dessert to Sicily. And the locals around Catania harvested and stored ice from Mount Etna to make that granita. That alone tells us about the unique climate of Mount Etna and the different kind of viticulture that's practiced there. The Benanti family has been making wines near Mount Etna for several generations but it didn't get truly serious about creating commercially viable wines until pretty recently. As is the case with many areas, European wine laws in the 70s and 80s encouraged regions like Sicily to overproduce and create a lot of bulk wine. Some of it was sold to other European winemakers to fortify their weaker wines, but much of it was also just distilled into commercial alcohol. So the late 20th century looks pretty bleak for Sicilian wine until people like Giuseppe Benanti decided to change the story. Today, his twin sons Salvino and Antonio lead the business, which focuses on local grape varieties like Norella Mascalese, Norella Capuccio, which are both red, and Caricante, which is white. Over the past several years, Benanti wines have been widely recognized for their exceptional quality. Distribution is global. Benanti wines are available across the United States, but if you live in the Northeast, specifically New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut, you can thank renowned importer Wilson Daniels for bringing them to you. And with that, I hope you enjoy the show.
2: This is the old press. The, the room is called palmento. Palmento is a, is a word that is similar to pavimento in Italian it means floor. Because up there, the top level, there is a lava stone floor where uh, people used to throw the grape directly from the vineyard through the windows of that first level. They stomped on it, physically, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and only with gravity. You can see there are pipes coming out from each side. Um, The juice came from the first level to the first tanks.
1: As you can hear, our visit to Benanti began in the old traditional production facility. Now, palmentos are no longer allowed to be used under DOC laws, modern winemaking equipment is far more hygienic and produces a much higher quality wine. Nevertheless, it was really interesting to see the traditional way that wine was made on the island. This enormous room is dominated by a 300-year-old chestnut beam in the center, which was used to crush the grapes. Now, Bianca went on to explain the motivation for Giuseppe Benanti to make high-quality wines on the island.
2: In the 80s, Giuseppe Benanti, that is Salvino's father, Mm -hmm. he was a pharmacist, so he had this pharmaceutical company. Uh, He had this thing, this insight. He was at dinner with some friends, and he was um, asking for an etna wine to pair with a beautiful food, and they were like, sorry sir, we don't have such a wine to pair with this food. Because in the past, I mean, 30 years ago, um, we only had um, etna wines, but not, Etna certified wines, so no rules, uh, and mostly uh, on Mount Etna we had every kind of international variety planted, Merlot, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, whatever you name it, it was planted on Mount Etna, no rules at all. The native variety is called, called Nerello Mascalese, Nerello cappuccio, Carricante, we have catarratto, uh, so cappuccio and mascalese are reds, reds. and then Carricante is, is white, white. Mm. Uh, catarratto, Minella, also some other uh, local varieties of whites, but the three main ones are Nerello mascalese, Nerello cappuccio, and Carricante. these mm. three. So in uh, 30 years ago, as I was mentioning, Giuseppe Benanti decided to start, in a way, to make refined wines on Mount Etna, and with other four or five winemakers that were already here, like Barone di Villa Grande, Murgo, they already had history with winemaking, they just decided to start mm. m- making some rules. And replacing all the international varieties with the local ones, so Mm. they started this job. They were clever enough to call consultants from because no one was really doing that for a living. So he's a a pharmacist, so he knew about uh, exams and tricks in the laboratory, but not about wine. Right. So they called these consultants from uh, the northern Italy or from France as well. They came here. They mapped what whatever was on. This beautiful, I mean, with this map, it's very easy to understand. So, um, 30 years ago, we only had five winemakers, proper ones, I mean. Now there are 150 right. to make DOC wines, and it's only a slight backward sea on this side of the volcano. Yeah, from
1: if you look at Mount Enna on a map, the best vineyard locations are on the northern, eastern, southern, and southwestern facing slopes of the volcano.
2: We are the only winery that has four vineyards in the four different slopes. But knowing that after the studying, uh, we figure out there are 72 different kinds of soils on Mount Etna. Wow. And every single lava flow, layers and layers of lava flow, put different minerals.
1: And- Etna is unique in that it gets more rain than anywhere else in Sicily. In the north, it can rain any time of year. Whereas in the east and the south, it's more seasonal, usually in autumn or winter. But as Bianca explains, the eastern exposure is unique and special for growing white varieties.
2: Here we have rain because of the, there is a valley here, that is called Pove Valley, that with the, the winds from the sea and the sea breeze in general create a vortex of clouds and rain. So here it rains three times more than there. and it's perfect for the white. So if you want to certify an uh, an etna bianco superiore, the superior etna white, you're only allowed by the book of rules that we have (laughs) to make it here from Milo. Okay. If you do not have a vineyard here, you cannot make an etna bianco superiore. Our pietra marina, for example, comes from here. Okay. That is our top white.
1: From here, Bianca handed us off to one of her colleagues, Sophie. And Sophie led us up the hill into one of Benanti's named vineyards. This one was called Contrada Montesera. Now what's special about these volcanic soils is that they are so exceptionally well-drained. Basically, the phylloxera louse that feeds on the rootstocks of Vitis vinifera vines, it can't exist. Think similarly of the volcanic soils in Santorini, Greece. In both places, because of the great drainage, you can actually have ungrafted vines that are over 100 years old.
3: Soil, if you look at the soil here, so the Monte Serra, probably Bianca mentioned you, uh, is, a, is a former crater, it's an extinct crater from Etna. Uh, you can guess it by, by the shape,
2: uh-huh. since
3: uh, it's an eel but with a flat top. And uh, on the Monte Serra, we have this vineyard. Uh, right now, it's about uh, eight hectares. Uh, mostly Narello Mascalese so all these one is all Narello Mascalese for the reds mm-hmm. and uh, the soil here on the Monte Serra uh, estate as you can see is of course dark extremely sandy volcanic soil that it's
1: almost red yes
3: rich of all these red oranges pumices. Huh. so all these uh, Light, extremely, of course, light yeah, right.
0: stones. Wow.
3: Make this soil extremely drainy. Right. So we can, uh, um, we do not have any artificial irrigation here. We don't need it.
1: I found that interesting and I asked how the climate and the amount of rainfall might impact the vintages from year to year.
3: But uh, in the last few years, what I noticed is that uh, uh, vintage variation is quite big. Hmm. And then the wine uh, is an example that 2017 uh, has been uh, one of the warmest vintage ever. Really? Warm and dry, but a lot. And so 2017 wines, both white, reds, are quite uh, are probably a little bit more powerful in yeah. terms of alcohol, a little bit, not a lot, since we tried to yeah. check it out, the alcohol content. <laughs> oh, she's singing along!
1: Mm-hmm. So as you can hear, the firefighters of Catania were on their way to a job, and our two very cute companions, two of Benanti's vineyard dogs, were cheering them on, as dogs do. Sophie continued to explain the climatic impact on vintage year to year and how that's actually an important aspect of Etna wines.
3: If uh, if a wine is always the same, that that wine has to have a soul. And uh, uh, sometimes, as as an example, in 2018, 2019, it was not easy to reach uh, the right amount of sugar. Yeah. Alcohol, so probably we will have and probably we will have quite lean, fresh, but then probably with the time elegant wine so that's that vintage. Yeah. And uh, generally speaking that is Aetna. So Aetna mm-hmm. is not a place for like uh, big yeah. wines or very alcoholic powerful right. wines.
1: Sophie went on to point out some of the oldest ungrafted vines in this particular vineyard, the Contrada Montessera. What's also really interesting is the training system. It's called an alberello, and it dates back to Roman times. It's basically a single stake driven into the ground. And if you're familiar with the Mosul region in Germany, it's, it's a similar system. It's very effective when you have pretty steep slopes. Wow, I think. Like, oh. look at these. That is a thick vine. That is a thick vine. How yeah. old is this vine? But I think uh, that
3: a vine like this uh, will be probably something like uh, 80, 90 years old. Wow. I think. And the alberello is the traditional system, training system of ethnic. Uh
1: So it's staked, it's head trained. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The alberello allowed to plant vines even on steep. Mm -hmm. Site, and uh, we use the, we still use uh, the chestnut stake. Mm -hmm. Chestnut is uh, quite common as a wood here in Etna, and um, it's quite a resistant one, so it's quite good for the stakes on which, of course, we tie and keep the trunk next to the next to the stake mm-hmm. and this is what the workers started doing since I have to say that this year we have quite a lot of vegetation, um, they are starting now tying the, the canopy part mm-hmm. of the canopy and the upper part of the same stake in order to allow then sunlight heat uh, to hit the grapes.
1: From here, we walked back to their beautiful tasting room, where we had the privilege to sit down with Salvino Benanti. Now, Salvino currently manages the business with his twin brother Antonio, and he told us a little bit more about what makes Etna unique. Not only that it's a really small region, but also that its initial popularity among sommeliers and wine nerds—that appreciation is growing.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> Etna really is a small. Appellation, it's 1,000 hectares, so it's about uh, 2,500 acres, mm-hmm. and it's um, 3.5 million bottles. So it's five times smaller than Barolo, for example, which is supposed to be a niche already. Mm-hmm. So these are small appellation, but growers have proliferated, there are hundreds, from the very small to the much bigger, although the largest producer on is still only going to be. 300,000 bottle producers. Yeah. So we produce 160 and we rank near the top. Mm-hmm. So we're small wine, but we're still one of the biggest. Oh, wow. But still we're super small. Etna is only 5% of the whole Sicilian um, vineyard surface. Right. And the wines we make here are, are mountain wines, in terms of the elegant, uh, crisp, um, fresh whites mm-hmm. and, and the light-bodied uh, reds. So. Etna needs to be introduced to uh, drinkers almost door to door. Otherwise, we would be hit, would be sort of uh, negatively, wrongly, wrongly influenced by the uh, stereotype of Sicilian wine, which is usually mm-hmm. bigger. Bigger wine, sometimes international varietal, or anyway, big big wines like Grillo, Nero d'Avola. Whereas on Etna, especially, At a place like this, like like our winery, we have very sort of um, vertical, lean, high acidity, crisp, dry food wines. Other producers have a different style. They may decide to harvest a few days later, attempt to get an extra 0.5% alcohol, maybe use newer oak. The appellation rules do not impose anything on us in the cellar. They say how much grapes you can make in the vineyard, what the yield must be, there's some ranges you have to stay within, what grape you must grow. But then once the grape is in the cellar, um, you can basically apply your own um, style to it. So our Bianco is stainless steel only, no blend. Other wineries, in oak, and they blend with uh, smoother grapes like Catarato, so you get a very different Ethna Bianco. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, like you said, it's geeky wines, I mean, I said geeky, you said it's a yeah. small, small customer-based wines, but then it's highly, highly passionate drinkers that will want well, try different wine every week, share it with friends. So you're not going to see these wines uh, at Total Wines or at um, large stores, anyway. You're going to find these at small independent stores, a lot of uh, restaurants, a lot of yeah. restaurants. So if you're on the mailing list of a fancy Italian restaurant, at some point you will see an Aetna wine dinner coming up. The East Coast is incredibly receptive to responsive to Aetna, especially the greater New York area. So, we're doing very, very well. Some markets prefer to focus on the entry level, which is not on the table right now, um, which is the $20 wine, because that's what most people drink. But our entry-level red was included this year in Wine Spectator's top 100 world wines list, because of its price to quality. It's a $20 wine, but it's amazing at that price point. And our white was just a month ago in the New York Times as uh, one of Italy's best $25 Twenty-five dollar wines for the summer. So these things are, you know, New York. The New York Times is not a wine magazine, so it's read by millions of people. Eric Asimov, the wine critic, has been here twice, mm-hmm. and uh, he likes our style, likes what we do. So when you get an article like that, um, handy, it's right? it generates incredible. So Wilson Daniel is, is placing orders for all of our range. So they don't just want the easier wines. They, they're focusing on these Contradas.
1: Of course, I had to ask a little about Giuseppe Benanti and family history, but also about how Salvino and his brother came into the wine business.
0: Yeah, my father started out of fun um, because he's a wine lover and the kid. He had a bigger job and he had a chance to invest. So he picked things up from where his grandfather had left them. Because we skipped a generation. My grandfather did not want to be involved with agriculture. So my father started again in the, in the 80s, when he was my age now. Um, he has been um, developing the winery um, in his spare time, because he, had, he kept his bigger job. And then uh, 10 years ago, we sold the family business, and we managed to find time and more resources to devote to the winery. So my brother and I have come back. We used to live in London. I used to work for Merrill Lynch Investment Bank. Okay. <laughs> and my brother was with JP Morgan. You know. okay. That was us. Uh, But I haven't worn a suit ever since since the day I quit. (laughs) And you're not looking back, are you? No, not looking back. And my brother and I have applied some um, skills to uh, my father's messy dream. And all we had to do is really build on the strong foundations in terms of quality and reputation that he had laid. And all we had to do was basically improve everything. So we've made investments in hospitality, in the cellar, in the vineyard, and and, uh, trying to always reach new heights. And this was going to be... Really, the most important year for us ever because um, we come from a few very good years, and this year appeared super promising in terms of hospitality and, and exports. But then, obviously, you know, mm, the pandemic course. hit all of us, and um, we <coughs> had to sort of put a few things on hold. Um, but we've bounced back terribly well in um, when the world more or less went back to normal and restaurants started to reopen. Uh, we received a lot of orders, so in terms of, in terms of um, business, things are going very well. All we're missing, really, is um, the tasting room.
1: Let's call it business. So a little more on the tasting room and the fun that that creates in a few minutes. But first, Salvino led us through a tasting of some of the newer wines that the vineyard is producing, particularly satisfying a demand that's in the middle range of the market.
0: The white you're drinking is a new release uh, from a place called Renazzo, which is mentioned on the label. Where we have to mention the origin on the label because um, it helps the consumer a lot, assuming you know where the place is, but even if you don't, you can read the back sea. label. And basically, this vineyard is at um, almost 800 meters, uh, 2400 feet, mm-hmm. um, on the east side of the volcano, facing the sea. We have a lot of salty sea breeze blowing mm-hmm. towards the, the mountain. And we have uh, very high rainfall, much higher than anywhere else on Etna. Because uh, the clouds...
2: I was mentioning that yeah, before. Somehow yeah, somehow
0: stop, this is valley, and then they just uh, basically unload all the water from the vineyard. But because it's highly draining, the water disappears, but the humidity stays. It doesn't do much damage because the, the wind and the breeze blows the humidity away. But in general, the environment is quite cool, and in the afternoon and early evening, we don't get much strong sunlight. We get sun at at an angle um, that is good for the grapes to ripen, but um, it's not too hot. So basically, we never really get much um, alcohol percentage, this is 12%. This wine spends one year on the lease. Uh, it's vinified and aged only in stainless steel, and it's the first time we release. It's a new, it's a new planting from uh, from five years ago, so it's basically it's the first vintage that we release only only in 1,800 bottles because the initial harvests were very small. Mm. Um, the vineyard will eventually be able to produce up to 40,000 bottles, but you know every it, it will take a few years. Sure. Um, We've yeah. started producing this wine because we wanted to take some pressure off the bigger Bianco Superiore, which is Pietra Marina, whose first vintage is right there. And that spends two years on the lease. And we've now pushed its um, vinification aging uh, time to four and a half up to five years. So vinification, then aging, and then bottle. Um, and we're going to release the, first, the next vintage of that wine in two years. Yeah, two sometimes years it's sold
2: out even before going two to the years market. From now.
0: Mm, yeah, if, yeah. You read, if you read about it, you'll see that it's considered one of Italy's best wines. So what we decided to do is, because it shows well after some aging in the bottle, we decided to hold on to it for an extra couple of years mm-hmm. in the cellar before releasing it, so that when we release it, it's actually ready, and we have created this middle wine Also in terms of price, so that we can feed it (laughs) to all those who want to drink a very saline, sharp, crisp, uh, Mm. though complex, superiore, without having to take out a big loan to buy the the bigger
1: wine. Our conversation was pretty wide-ranging, and at one point it did stray into the topic of natural wines. Now, Benanti doesn't produce natural wines, Uh, they do organic farming, but the topic of their special yeast did come into play and it's a really interesting story.
0: We use our own yeasts. So it's a very boring paper you can download from our website. It's a, it's a chemical. It's a five-year study that my father, being a chemist, has carried out, scrapping the surface of the, um, old vinification holes from, from a lot of farmers mm-hmm. and isolating strains of yeasts. Really? And then he isolated four after isolating and then Growing um, several decades, he has several uh, dozens. He has eventually, uh, shortly, is seventeen, and chosen four, which we have in a way patented. So they are yeasts coming from these grapes, so they're natural, but we have selected only the strains that show enough um, balance. So they're both vigorous, Mm. uh, but they're not. um, They don't. Interfere with the um, with the properties of the grape. Um, so since two thousand and ten, all of our vintages are are fermented with these uh, with these, these Yeah. So what we do is we have a lab in Northern Italy that grows them for us, and then uh, at harvest time they send us the, what well, they look like milk bottles. Yeah. We basically um, our enologist knows exactly how much to put uh, in each vat to trigger the fermentation and uh, so we never have any Benite problems, yeast. so that's completely the opposite of natural. Yeah. I mean, we're using natural yeasts, but we're playing God by using only the ones that work. Because the yeast is crucial, plays a crucial role. So we're simulating and spontaneous fermentation, but we're, we are inoculating, injecting only the, uh, the good yeast, the one that will we know will do the job, will get the job done. So we never have an issue. Uh, with the quality of fermentation. And that's so important because um, fermentation is the most important part of winemaking. If fermentation goes wrong, there is very little you can do to fix the wine after that.
1: Of course, I was also interested to know where Benanti's chief markets are. And to no surprise, their focus is a lot on exports, and the United States plays a pretty significant role.
0: Uh, We rely a lot on exports. 70% of the wine is sold Overseas, ten percent in this tasting room to foreign wine travelers, and the remaining twenty percent is sold in Italy, like fifteen percent in Sicily, five percent in the rest of Italy. So, Hmm. but we rely a lot on exports, and the USA is one third of our volumes. Yeah, I'm talking volumes. It was a big word. We don't make much wine, but one third of it goes to the US. One third of your wine production, and we go four or five times a year, and we and we cover twenty five states through eighteen small distributors we don't want to we don't want to work with big distributors because then you're just one name on a in a thick book yeah. whereas we work with smaller ones that you know we can WhatsApp and say I'm gonna be can I come to St. Louis Missouri in three months and they make room for you I say, sure you know you have one week with us we're mm. driving around the state and we do wine dinners, in-store, in-store tastings, interviews with journalists, wine club, in, um, country club events, and then uh, maybe a public tasting in a large store. And it's always a lot of fun because you're exposed to wine connoisseurs, but also to the general public.
1: Of course, having a beautiful tasting room and a gorgeous property with a very stylish swimming pool is helpful to attract guests and to generally engage the public. Salvino and Bianca also related some pretty humorous stories around the tasting room. And these are just a couple. You know, once,
0: it was a couple of years ago, when we said, okay, we have a few English speakers, let's sit them together. It's just that some people were from uh, um, Alabama and the others were from Scotland. So you didn't really speak the same language. <laughs> it's nice. So they were talking to each other, but there wasn't really any communication. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately, I
0: didn't get to argue over whiskey or barber, but uh, they couldn't really understand. That's funny.
2: But the cutest thing, and it happened twice actually, Um, I try, you know, taking reservations and speaking on the phone with people, I try to understand the type of people that are coming, just to try and put them together when we don't have space. And twice I put two young couples together. Um, and one said okay, it's my boyfriend's birthday, do you mind like buying a little cake and then surprise him in the end? And uh, I said sure, no problem, so I went to buy this little cake Uh we came here and the girl was smiling (gasps) it was her birthday too, Uh, (laughs) it happened twice (laughs) and so we put another candle and they blurred together, we have pictures of those moments, it's so funny yeah, and that's one wanted. told us, the other one did not, so yeah. we did her boyfriend, did something yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three points
0: taken. Exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's fun. I think a tasting room is the perfect place to um, really get to know um, the producer, if he's around, or if she's around, and uh, so it's a lot of fun. And our season is very long, usually from March to November, there is always somebody.
1: As you can tell, I really enjoyed our time at Benanti. Salvino, Bianca, and Sophie were fantastic. I highly recommend a visit if you ever make it over to Sicily. And obviously, the next time you're in a restaurant, whenever that may be, please look at the wine list and try to find their wines. They are truly special. That about does it for this episode. I've put a lot of links in the show notes. You can find them at eatdrinkfun.com forward slash podcast episodes. Please also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. It helps a lot to get noticed. And please send suggestions for any future episodes if you think of them. I'm at Eat Drink Fun on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again to the entire Benanti team. The intro music is Pluck It Up by Dan Hennig. This outro tune is Nimbus by Eveningland. Please stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands, mask up, get vaccinated, and let's get traveling again. Until next time, here's to eating well, drinking better, and always having fun.